You're listening to part two of a special podcast series featuring readings from our book celebration event held in the church on Monday, November 29th, featuring six different authors from our community. In part one, you heard from Angeline Schellenberg and Jan Waltman. This time around, you will hear my voice reading from my little book, A Kind of Solitude, How Pacing the Cage with an Icon and the Book of Common Prayer Restored My Soul. It's a book written in reflection on a five-week retreat I made at the University of King's College, Halifax, in the context of their chapel community, working through some of my own baggage from the collapse of a marriage. And then you'll hear Samantha Clausen. She's going to be speaking to her comic book, The Threads of Vocation, that picks up on work she did for us as a weaver and then an illustrator of that project, all built around questions of vocation, how we respond to being called, how we hear that, what we do with that. It's a great little comic, and I'll talk more about it when we get there. But first of all, I just am honored that you're listening to a reading from my own book, A Kind of Solitude. I published earlier in 2021 this book called A Kind of Solitude, subtitled How Pacing the Cage with an Icon and the Book of Common Prayer Restored My Soul. It's, uh, it is very much a memoir, but it's a memoir from five weeks with a little bit of, a, of an intro background and a, and a conclusion at the end, but the heart of it is five weeks that I spent on retreat in a kind of solitude at uh, King's College in Halifax. The run-up to that was that my marriage came to a very sudden and unexpected end. And those of you who were in the community back that summer of 2016 will remember how badly I limped um, and how much I needed people to come around. And that's the point when Kaylin and Rachel actually came forward and joined our staff team to make it possible for me to keep moving. And one of the things I knew, because my friend David Whittacombe, who was the rector of St. Margaret's, told me, he said, you need to be under the direction of a really old-fashioned spiritual director. You need somebody older than you. I think you need a man for this. You need to place yourself fully under their direction and just work this through. Yeah, David, I know, but who? Like, I don't know anybody. Not, there's nobody here that kind of fits that bill. And he says, well, maybe Toronto. Look around. I arrived at the church the next day. It was a Sunday. And in my mail slot in the office was a letter from Father Gary Thorne, who was the chaplain at the University of King's College in Halifax. Somebody I know very well and I have the utmost respect for a good old school spiritual director, among other things, although he would say, no, I don't really do spiritual direction. Yes, you do, Gary. And I need to come and spend some time with you. I'm thinking two weeks, and maybe like in early September. And he wrote me back and said, I will think about it, but you need to stay close to home. You have a good church. You have good family. You need to be where you are and find your feet. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. What about late September? 
too soon. Just wait. So it was in January of 2017, so fully six months after things had come apart and that I was beginning to find my feet. And I'd even begun to think, I don't really need to go to Halifax. And he said, good. I'm starting to think that, now's the time to come. And so it was, I spent five weeks living in a vacated residence building. I was the only person in that building. In, they called it an apartment. <laughs> it was pretty basic. I cooked my own meals using a microwave and a kettle. I did have a bar fridge. Um, very, very basic. Morning prayer, noonday prayer, evening prayer, and Eucharist Monday through Friday, plus late night Compline on Monday and Tuesday. It's what that community does for their chapel. Uh, Saturdays, I was on my own to pray those services of morning, noon, and evening. Sundays was kind of my respite day. He said, you can go and be with your sister, go to church with them, and uh, spend a little time with them in the afternoon, but you got to come back and dig back into this task. Well, what's the task? Well, the task, first of all, is being incredibly bored. He said, I want you to get so bored that you're turning inside out, you're climbing the walls. Because when you get to that point, you may have found your way on the way to where you need to be. And, oh, Jamie, have you, would you like to write an icon in the Eastern Orthodox tradition? You don't paint an icon, you write it in their language. It's because it's a theological, meditative, self-reflective process. I said, Gary, I can draw snowmen and stick people. And he said, good, you'll write an icon. And so a lot of my work was working under a student, trying madly to learn how to do lines and hold a paintbrush and all of those things. This picks up at the end of my first week there. Work on the icon progressed. Now that I had a finished draft, a pencil on paper, the next step was to transfer my sketch onto the wooden board that Ben, a student, had prepared for me. The wood surface had been coated with a layer of gesso, a mixture of chalk, white pigment, and a binder made from rabbit skin. To transfer the image to the gesso, I had to dust the back of my drawing with red tempera powder, fix the drawing firmly to the board with the powder against the gesso, and then very carefully retrace the drawing so that the image was imprinted on the board. It worked the same way as carbon paper, with the same challenge of needing to be ever so careful not to smudge the lines. That done, the next step was to etch the image into the gesso using a fine etching tool. As Ben demonstrated how to do this, his steady hand etched a fine, confident line into the gesso. When I gave it a try, he had me begin with a gently curving line, but I found even a very gradual curve hard to do. Felt like the etching tool had a mind of its own and had decided it liked straight lines a lot more than curved ones. I looked at the tiny curves in my sketch, in the fingernails, around the eyes, and wondered how I'd ever managed to do this. That's good, Father, said my mentor. Just go slowly, don't press too hard. You can go back over lying a few times if need be. 
took me four solid hours that day. And aside from getting up to make a cup of tea, I didn't move from my desk. Line by line, curve by curve, I etched the image of Christ into the gesso. My hand ached. So the tea was as much for the warmth of the mug in my hand as it was for the sake of the drink itself. When I heard the church bell ring for midday prayers, I decided to just stay put and pray that brief service on my own. Shortly after 1 p.m., I was finished. Aside from a few places where my etching tool had gone astray, I'd managed to etch every line I'd drawn, including those in the eyes and fingers. Now for a walk, to try to shake off the stiffness in my body. I was no more than five minutes down the road when I became suddenly aware of how angry I was. It was as if my conscious mind had been so utterly focused on etching this line and taking care with that curve that my subconscious had grabbed the opportunity to push up an anger I'd not even known was there. It was seething, raw, and poisonous, like nothing I'd ever before experienced. And so I turned right around and went straight back to my cell to, to, and to my journal and began to write. That journal entry begins by sounding measured, reflecting on my emotional exhaustion and the gift of sleep, almost as if the brief walk back had allowed my conscious mind to wrestle down all the anger that my subconscious had pushed up to the surface. But as the five-page entry continues, more of the anger begins to show. And by the final page, it is pouring out of me like venom. At the end, I wrote simply, there, that's where the anger is, and put down my pen. I sat back feeling drained, my hands open on my lap. I drew my hands together, and it was as if I could see, cupped in them, a ball of poisonous black anger. I knew I had a choice. I could either lift that poison to my mouth and swallow it back down where it would surely spread its evil throughout my spirit and destroy me, or I could throw my hands up and let it go. And so I did. I actually raised my hands toward the ceiling and banished it from me, wordlessly praying as I did. I sat for a few minutes breathing methodically and deeply, then rose, put on my jacket, and headed out the door for what was a truly good and long walk. Now, in a completely different note, we move over to Samantha Clausen. Samantha is a multi-talented character. Every time I turn around, she's exploring something new, whether it's music or art or some combination of the two. And she was our weaver, our artist-in-residence for 2019-2020, a year crushed by the beginning of the pandemic. Her role was to weave at the back of the church and invite others to participate in the making of a kind of a... Well, it's now our altar cloth. We didn't know it then, but a project built around the colors of the church year, 
weaving threads and thinking about our calling as a community. Samantha's going to speak to this, and then I'm going to cut in and tell you how you can get at a really good online version of that comic book, as well as information on how you can get a print copy of that comic book. And then she'll conclude. This is Samantha Clausen. Like Jamie mentioned, um, our church has been... Is it still ongoing? Yeah, we're, we're going to go one more year. It's got a lot of good stuff. Okay, we have one more year for a five-year grant from Collegeville that was given to quite a number of churches across North America to develop projects that will engage the community in exploring the topic of vocation. And so, 2019, 2020? Yeah. I guess the liturgical year that started in... Advent of 2019, uh, I was asked to be the artist in residence to facilitate a project that had been dreamed up by Rachel Twig and Carolyn Mount uh, to do a collaborative weaving, which resulted in this weaving. Um, so we worked through the liturgical colors starting in blue for Advent, gold for Christmas, green for ordinary time, purple for Lent, red for Holy Week, black for Good Friday, white for Eastertide, and then green again for more ordinary time. So at the beginning, um, the pandemic hadn't started yet, so we, we started with the loom at the back of the church, and um, I learned how to use it, and then people would come to the back, and I would teach them how, and there's people in this room who, who wove some of what's on this. And then when the lockdown hit, I took it home, and I continued weaving at home, a good stretch of the green and purple was done during the evening prayers um, that we would do on Facebook. You can see Easter is significantly shorter. I got a little tired of it at that point. Uh, but it's also one of the more intricate patterns. Um, and I was doing that more by hand, so that's also why it, why it took longer. But So the, the idea was that we wanted to talk about vocation weaving as a kind of a metaphor for vocation. Uh, one of our congregation members had told her vocation story in a series um, that we had of vocation stories, and she had talked about how the threads of her life were woven together, and she wouldn't say that her vocation was something that she had heard a clear call for early in her life and had set out to pursue, but more that at a later point in her life, looking back, she could see how those threads had woven together. And I liked that, approach um, and yeah for Rachel that also caught her attention and she thought well why don't we take this metaphor and actually embody it and do the weaving but I wanted to do some writing to kind of unpack that metaphor some more so yeah initially I set out to write a blog post or a short essay um, but I just found it difficult because so much of it was visual and I wanted to describe how the structure of weaving plays into the metaphor. I had been reading quite a few like indie comics um, on the blogging platform Medium and was kind of inspired by that and thought, well, I, I wasn't doing a lot of drawing at that time at all, but I thought, I, can, I think I could draw to, to, like, in a similar style that I was seeing. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll try and do a kind of an illustrated essay. So I'm going to read the whole thing because it's not super long. Um, and Jamie's going to do the slides while I read. 
Now at this point, Samantha carried us page by page through the comic book. But unless you have it before you, it just doesn't help to hear it read. Some things are great for podcasts and other things are very visual. So, you can go to our website, stbenedictstable.ca, plug in stbenedictstable.ca backslash blog backslash the dash threads dash of dash vocation dash a dash comic. We'll also link that in the show notes, so not to worry. Anyway, she went on to read the comic and brought it to a conclusion. So just a few more words from Samantha, and then I'll sum this one up. So, how do all these threads of weaving and vocation pull together? Maybe Cahalan's book title, The Stories We Live, is key. For Cahalan, there is no single or right way of speaking about our callings. Nouns, verbs, and prepositions are all necessary to storytelling. We find our callings within the stories of our lives, the story of God at work all around us. And just like the weft threads can move through the warp in an infinite number of ways, so in our lives we can experiment with new colors, textures, and patterns, or carefully build on what has gone before. Or we can find a way to do both at once. So, as we move through our lives, day by day, thread by thread, may we find the tenacity to experiment with unfamiliar patterns, the serenity to trust the through line, and the courage to attend to the voices that call us deeper into God's story. Amen. If you're interested in a print copy of Samantha's comic, or in any of the other books that are featured in this podcast series. You can get those from the church over the course of December, and if you're from another city or location altogether, you can contact us using the contact button on the website, and we'll see what we can do. It's just a delight to be in a community that produces so many writers and artists and musicians and folks for whom the creative process dovetails with their own spiritual search and yearnings. That's a gift. There's one more of these coming, so stay tuned. I'm your host, Jamie Howison. Thanks for listening. In the wilderness Make way Make way Make way Make Make way, 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 make way,